The maid who cleaned my room made my towel into a swan shape. I don't like swans. You told us that there was a rooftop pool, but above us, there was just another room. Welcome to Best of the Bad Reviews, a podcast that shares the most captivating, the funniest and the best bad reviews on the internet. I'm your host, Matthew Ganley, and it's a pleasure and a privilege once again to have you here for episode six, season one of this Best of the Bad Reviews. That's right, we're doing it. Best of the Bad Reviews Best of the Bad Reviews For this episode, I had to go all the way back to pre-corona, pre-2020. It's all about bad reviews related to travel. Now, Best of the Bad Reviews, or if you prefer the initialism, bot bruh. I'd be surprised if that catches on. But, you know, I'll try it in a sentence. Botabra welcomes its sixth guest, and what a treat we have in the form of the one and only northern legend, Julie Hesmond-Holsch. We get to talk about human resilience, Haley's anorak, and she shares a letter of complaint addressed to business mogul Richard Branson, who I found out this week is worth £4.3 billion. Let's just put that number into context. If you could live for 4.3 billion minutes, you'd be 8,181 years old. If you saved £100,000 for every single day you were alive, you'd have to live to 118. On occasion, things can get lost in translation, leading to perhaps a misguided bad review. We saw a sign that said, No hairdressers at this accommodation. We're both trainee hairdressers, and I am pretty sure they made us wait longer for our drinks. And this next review is an example of what might happen if communication in a relationship breaks down and you become entirely reliant on what's printed on your ticket to direct your marriage. I booked the window seat for myself and the middle seat for my wife, but the tickets put us in the opposite ones. Just swap. Just swap your... Just... Just swap your seats. But if you are feeling a little low on the self-esteem front, best avoid Russia. One out of five. The ladies in Russia were so beautiful that they crushed my self-esteem. Best of the bad reviews. Folks, I am absolutely chuffed to introduce this episode's guest, a multi-award winning actor of stage and screen. She's a mother, a wife, a social and political activist, an author and co-founder of Take Back Theatre Collective with a CV decorated in Broadchurch, Doctor Who, Happy Valley, Cucumber to name but a few and notoriously, of course, graced our screens. Red Anorak in tow in a 16 year tenure as Hayley Cropper in Corrie. It's Accrington born and bred, Julie Hesmond-Holsch. Julie, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the Best of the Bad Reviews. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Matthew. It's great to see you again. Um, I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, not doing too badly at all. The last time I saw you was at the Castle Pub and it was the fundraiser for the Booth Centre, which is a homeless charity in Manchester. Um, and it was like a live music event. And we did a raffle, which was drawn in the evening after an afternoon of everyone at the event getting sozzled 
basically. It was a bit of a rowdy raffle in the end. They're always the best raffles. It's always always best to get them like absolutely pissed and then they'll just... Exactly, uh... <laughs> then they're happy with a, with a crap prize. Luckily, we had, we had some great prizes and you ended up winning the top prize of like a... It was like a luxury three-day spa experience and you instantly and very kindly auctioned it off and we ended up raising even more money for the Booth Centre. Now, that feels to me like an age ago that we were able to congregate in a room full of friends and strangers and have a rowdy raffle. Do you miss oh. that sort of night out environment or are you happy staying at home with a cuppa? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really, really miss it. And funnily enough, it's actually, it's like the castle and the eagle or my Rupert Hill's pubs that, that I... I miss the most. You know, when I think about being in that kind of environment, that's where I place myself psychically immediately in, in the back room of one of those two pubs in, in Manchester and Salford, just uh, just with all our mates around us. That was such a good night. And there's been times over this last year where, you know, watching like Glastonbury on telly and just thinking, are we ever going to be able to go back to that? Are we ever all going to be able to be in that kind of close proximity to each other? imbibing culture and yeah. music and art together and I really really hope we can because of course everything's reopening now but it's going to be such a strange experience everybody sitting in socially distanced ways I know and... it is strange isn't it but there's, I think there's also a part of me that feels slightly anxious as well about the world opening up again I mean I consider myself quite a social person but I think I've become acclimatized to staying at home how are you feeling about it do you have any advice for yourself on how you can uh, navigate the world opening up again well, I've lived long enough, Matty, to know that we're very adaptable as human beings and very resilient. So I do, I too feel a little bit anxious about it and I can't imagine it. In fact, I said to Kirsch, my husband, the other night, um, we were settling down like about seven o'clock to watch our four-hour marathon of telewatching before <laughs> we got to bed at about 11. And I said, I cannot imagine a time when it's seven o'clock at night You'll be like, right, come on, get dressed. We're going out to see a play, a gig, a film, to meet friends, whatever. Because I am ready. I'm ready for nothing apart from just sitting in front of the telly at seven now. But having been away this weekend, I've just been to see some really great friends of ours in Suffolk, and it was a little tiny slice of normality. You know, we managed to get to the seaside and have fish and chips outside and ice cream by the sea, and. I realised how just how immediately we fell back into that kind of like normal passing of life. And I think we will. I just think we will. I think we're just more adaptable yeah. than we like to think we are. That's true. I think it's easy to forget that, isn't it? You know, especially when in an ever-changing world and, you know, things are moving bloody quickly, aren't they? It feels like they can be moving yeah. quickly. But you're right. I think we, you know, once the dust settles on, on, a, on a situation, I think we're quite adaptable, aren't we? Um, luckily. I think we are, and it's taken me a long time to come to that as well. You know, I'm 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 not um I'm not very good at leaving situations. You know, I'm, I'm quite famously bad at leaving things. So you know, it's an absolute miracle that I managed to leave Corrie after 16 years. You know, I, it shocked everybody. Yeah. But it's a, a running joke in our house that I'd still be at nursery school if it were up to me. I have to be dragged kicking and screaming from every period of my life into the next. So actually, this period of being quite cosy, I've got quite used to that feeling that was once a really nice feeling of like being a little bit out of the ordinary, of um, 
we don't have anything to do tonight or we can just watch line of duty oh yes we'll just get a takeaway that's every night now yeah. you know and i haven't tired of it actually i miss the other life but i'm actually quite sort of settled in this so i think because of that i'll be like oh do i have to go out do i have to do something yeah. do i have to and then as soon as i am i'll be like yay back in the world brilliant so it's just um yeah you've just got to be where you are in the moment as best you yeah. can really i, I like think. to think we'll be able to marry some positive elements of the past year um you know be be that reconnecting with old friends or you know getting close to your family or redefining a relationship or or discovering something new about yourself um i think there've been a lot of self-searching that i've seen amongst my friends certainly do you think there are any any positives or lessons we could take forward from this period as we move out of lockdown yeah of course i mean there always are aren't there i mean what I, what i have noticed is that um in the first lockdown, I felt very, very heartened. I mean, I mean, it was awful. And, and always when we talk about these things, you know, the, the unspoken obvious thing is, is the, the loss mm-hmm. and the grief and the, the illness that people, you know, have suffered over this last year and a bit and, uh, and continue to suffer. But I feel like in the first lockdown, I'm almost nostalgic for that now because I, I feel like people really did grab the opportunity to be better in some way, you know, to connect with people more, to connect with nature more, to be kinder. You know, there was there was all those amazing sort of groups set up, the mutual aid groups in communities, helping each other and doing shopping for vulnerable people. Yeah. Um, there was a clap in the NHS, which I know has become a contentious thing because obviously we would rather have NHS staff getting a proper pay rise that goes without saying but there was something really lovely about that coming together in appreciation of our key workers and I have noticed in this most recent lockdown and it might you know be fatigue and it might be um, the weather as well you know the time of year but I have noticed that people are angrier you know, I've noticed quite a lot of road rage going yeah. on and people feeling very frustrated and, and I feel like people at the end of the tether and I'm, I'm I'm sort of, I feel like I'm witnessing a little bit of a mental health crisis, mm. um, a burgeoning mental health crisis in a way that I didn't really feel in the, in the first lockdown in the same way. Yeah. And that could have been novelty, you know, but, but I hope, I hope more than anything that moving forward, we can sort of take a little bit of what we got from that first one in terms of looking after each other. You know, it's become very, very unfashionable over the last few years to look out for other people. I notice it in, in all walks of life, you know, and for example, parenting, you know, there's this this feeling and this philosophy, if you like, that your children are more important than anybody else's and you must do right by your children and give them the very best in life whatever Mm -hmm. that is whether that's the best education the best healthcare, whatever and for me you know i know this is it, it feels ridiculous that this is even a controversial thing to say every child is as important you know my children are not more important than those children that are drowning in the Mediterranean right now or, you know, going without because, you know, of, of, of lockdown and because of, like, the shortage of jobs and food. And and I just, I, I really, really hope we can move forward with a little bit more sense of us being a society again, a community where yeah. we all take responsibility a little bit for each other and just a bit more generous with what we've got. 
I think what this lockdown has, has uh, taught me is to never underestimate the, the, the smallest word or, you know, just picking up the phone or texting someone uh, a message of goodwill or just checking in on someone can go such a long way in lifting someone's spirits. Oh, it, it's so true. And um, something that I've started to do is that if somebody pops into my mind, I immediately contact yeah. them. You know, it's one of those things where sometimes you go, you know, something happens to somebody or you hear that somebody's had a really bad time. And, and I think it is that sort of energy that connects us all in some way, you know, that you just think like, oh, I was just thinking about them the other day as well. I'm thinking I must give them a ring or drop them a text or, or whatever. And then when somebody comes into my mind, however random and however long it's been since I've spoken to that person or, you know, sometimes it can just be that I think, oh, you're just a really ace person. Yeah. I think I did it when you were doing your coast to coast war. You know, I was just thinking, you just popped into my head one day, Matt, and I was just like, what a brilliant person Matt is doing that for Booth Centre. I want to send him a message and say that because I think so often we think those thoughts, but we don't actually act on them and, and, and yeah. give it out to the other person. So I've really, really started to try yeah. to do that. And, and it can be daunting as well. I mean, can I just tell you, by the way, for, 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 for the listeners, I, I did the coast to coast walk last summer and I was about... I was about three quarters of the way through and, and the day before I'd had the hardest day of, of walking that I'd had and it was about 25 miles and it was in a storm and and, and, and it was just miserable and, and tough and the next day the next morning I woke up and I, I camped in a, in a pub I camped in a pub beer garden and the next morning I went to brush my teeth to start again and I was exhausted and I remember picking up your message and honestly it lifted my spirits to, to no end. I was like, right, let's let's have it. We're doing this. And I suddenly got this burst of energy out of, you know, just from, from that gesture that... Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Because, I mean, we don't know each other really well, no, do no. we, Matt? You know, we're not, like, really, really massively in no. each other's lives. And you had been on my mind, you know, and I thought, oh, just exactly that. I just thought, rather than just thinking it, you know, just like, a, you know, you never know yeah. him. <laughs> I just thought, oh, I'll just send him a little message. And oh, I regret, but I did think it was an incredible thing that you did. Julie, I would like to ask you a question about something. Can you guess what it might be? Right, now you see, could, well, it could be a few things. Is it about coronation stream? <laughs> uh, 10 points, full marks. Um, I would like to talk about Hayley, if that's all right with you, for a sec. Um, I was, I figured out the other day, I was 15 when Hayley first rocked up on Corrie, and I... Oh, well, thank you so much for that, Matt. Thank <laughs> you. That's really what I wanted to hear. Crack it. <laughs> yeah, don't let, my, uh, don't let my bald head fool you. Um, I, I, I was 15 when Hayley, when Hayley arrived, and I, I, I vividly remember seeing you in a scene, and I think you were, like, walking, doing something really simple, like walking up a driveway, and I remember the brilliantly distinctive walk that your character had. And of course, the red anorak. Now, after a roller coaster 16 years for Haley and the anorak, I mean, that anorak saw a lot, didn't it? If anoraks could talk. And you, at the end of your tenure on, on Corrie, you very kindly auctioned it off. Was that an easy parting of ways? Well, no. Do you know what? I didn't actually end up doing that because we, we tried to do that. And it never happened. Uh -huh. We could never get enough money to to warrant me parting with it, you know. So, do you know where it is now? Do you still have it? No, 
I'll tell you where it is. It's in the permanent queer exhibition at the People's History Museum in Manchester, which Perfect. is the most brilliant museum. If if your listeners have never been there, it's absolutely wonderful when it reopens. Go and it is it's the People's Museum, so it's all about protest. It's all about the history of uh, protest and and different political and social mm. movements in Manchester. And they had a huge queer exhibition, um, probably about four five years ago now and they asked for my anorak to be part of it so I took it in in it's sort of bin bag that had been under my, back, my bed and they dry cleaned it made it look Bobby Dazzler again because I literally don't think it had been cleaned in 20 years <laughs> since I'd started on show and um, and they put it in a glass case it was a proper exhibit I, I just couldn't believe it and now it's been it is in the permanent uh, um, sort of archive there for whenever they do a queer exhibition so for me that's just absolutely glorious yeah so so it, it's there it's in safe there's hands. something about that red anorak that really encapsulated the spirit of that character i can't really put my finger on it do you know what i mean yeah i do know what you mean and i don't know how it happened really it was just me and the costume designer just before christmas like trolling around the shops in manchester Mm. and it was from dorothy perkins good old dotty (laughs) p and um it was actually on the front page of one of the tabloids a year after that people were going mad because they'd had to finish the line because obviously Haley was never a style icon in anybody's um, eyes. So, um, so yeah, so they had to discontinue the line of red anoraks because it had become so associated with That's Hayley. That's amazing. <laughs> what a legacy to leave. <laughs> I know, I know, innit? Um, in but I'd say much of, much of your acting work is often involved in stories that have, have a bit of a social or political edge or provoke an awareness around certain issues, you know, be it um, educating people about the story of Sophie Lancaster or Haley's finale with the assisted death storyline. And it certainly feels to me like you've been able to integrate your work with with issues that you are passionate about. Um, I guess I'm interested to know how how you managed to cultivate that. Is it a case of saying no to the wrong jobs and yes to the right ones? Oh, well, that, yeah, well, that is, that is interesting, actually, because I think there is a little bit of saying no that goes mm. on and asking questions, but uh, I am really aware that that is a... A position of of incredible privilege to be able to pick and choose mm-hmm. a little bit, and uh, and I know that some people, you know, don't have that. You can't say no to things when it means you know the difference between eating and not, and so on. So, um, so there's a little bit of that for me, but I think as well, I think that the way that I spoke around the issues about Haley, about her being transgender specifically, you know, back when transgender issues were not being discussed at all in the mainstream media um you know any kind of oh any representation of transgender was just you know very very badly done um at the butt of a joke it was it was pretty horrible and and when i got the role it was quite controversial because like various trans pressure groups you know were were very watchful of Coronation Street that they were going to do it properly and, and they weren't happy that they'd cast a cisgender woman to play right. that role. Now, I still maintain that it would have been unbelievable pressure for a trans actor yeah. back then to have taken that part because of the prurience of the press. They just wouldn't have left them alone. It would have been horrible for them and they would have been, you know, incredibly vulnerable to that. And I just knew that I was an ally and that I could be trusted yeah. with it, you know, and that I made that very clear from the start. So I was like 27 when I went into the show, you know, and I was very, very sort of politically active and, you know, very, very clued up on LGBTQ 
um, politics and and so that was a position I took and so I think you get to be known as somebody who can talk around the issues around the role that you're playing and that's been really really useful for me so for example when I did Broadchurch and you know the that was a story about a, a rape and I was a rape survivor in it you know, there was a lot of conversation about the portrayal of rape and serious sexual assault on telly around the time that it was broadcast. And I was required, you know, to talk about that in a way that was, you know, educated and informed and, and you know, in sync with the present thinking about it in terms of people who are working in the field, you know, like rape crisis centres and the way that they wanted to talk about it and the issues that they wanted to raise. And, and I'm always really willing to do that because I'm politically and socially active. So I think the happiest place for me, and this is the reason that we set up Tape Back, which is, you know, as you say, a, a social and political theatre company, is that I like to exist in the sort of middle of the Venn diagram between activism mm. and and art. And we've created a little sort of community in Manchester of people who, who like to exist in that place as well. And and so not everything I do, you know, has, you know, an issue behind it or but I'm interested in things that's in things that start conversations yeah. that, you know, that that make people maybe think differently about an issue. And I think I'm known as somebody who is. Now, of all the businesses on Coronation Street, Roy's Rolls, there's the Rover's Return, there's the factory, there's the salon, there's the taxi firm. Am I missing one there or is that... Is that the cabin. The cabin. Devs. Devs. That's a lot of business. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of business. If you were to... Which would score highly on the... The bistro now. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Yeah. Or which would score highly? Which would score highly in the review department and which wouldn't do so well? <laughs> which wouldn't score so highly in the review department, do you think? Well, I can't imagine that streetcars would, would do very well in the review section. No. I mean, I feel like it's a it's a very haphazard. Oh, there's a florist as well, isn't there? Yeah, Tracy's florists. Yeah. I can't imagine that that would be just purely because of customer service <laughs> half of the time. I seem to remember a drug um, dealer rocking up at the taxi firm as well a, a couple of times. I th- oh, they're always rocking up at the taxi firm, of course yeah. they are. I mean, that's what taxi firms are all about <laughs> in drama. You know that, Matt. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think that those would not possibly fare so well. Um, the salon, for me, always seemed to be closed a lot of the time because someone had to go and... Well, it's part-time. There's a barber's shop now as well, don't forget. Yeah. There's a barber's yeah. that's... Uh, yeah, that's. I think that that seems very high end to me. Um, but of course, Rose Rolls five would out come out top. Oh yeah, five out of five every time. Customer it's service. a five star. It's beautiful, beautiful food, <laughs> gloriously presented by the most urbane yeah. and and polite host. Always met with you a know, smile. it's just yes. Well, not quite a smile. I mean, he's not exactly cheerful, is he? But but definitely, definitely a. Uh, Yes, courtesy. Yeah, courtesy and consistency. Um, yes. Great. Well, the, yeah. well, the review I've invited you to read, um, I'd say it's a review. It's more of a letter of complaint, really, and it's by a fella. It's quite an iconic letter. It's by a fella called Oliver Beale. And just to to caveat this bef- before I invite you to read it, Julie, um, mm-hmm. this was written, th- this sort of bypassed the middleman and went straight to uh, Dickie Branson of Virgin, and 
it was basically his experience of a flight, a virgin flight, and the food was, was really grim. So he decided to go directly to, to Richard Branson and write him a letter. And I believe that after receiving this letter, he was offered a job. They were that impressed with his grasp uh, of how creative he was with the language. Um, Is that right? They actually offered Is him a job right? yeah, uh, in marketing. So, um, so, Julie, are you ready to, to become I am ready. Oliver. I mean, we should say to our listeners that, that it is accompanied by a series of quite alarming <laughs> photographs um, that you have to absolutely have to see to believe. And um, I think what you need to know is that there's a lot of yellow goo on these pictures. Mm-hmm. That's that's quite that's quite crucial, isn't it? Matt? Yeah. And, uh, and also the biscuit is about the size of a... Of a, of a thumbnail. Yeah. So you need to know that before because he refers to those. Yeah, I'm hoping that the description of, of these pictures yes. will do the job. So are you, are you ready, Julie? I am ready. Here goes. Dear Mr. Branson, reference Mumbai to Heathrow, 7th of December 2008. I love the Virgin brand. I really do, which is why I continue to use it despite a series of unfortunate incidents over the last few years. This latest incident takes the biscuit. Ironically, by the end of the flight, I would have paid over a thousand rupees for a single biscuit following the culinary journey of hell I was subjected to at the hands of your corporation. Look at this, Richard. Just look at it. (laughs) I imagine the same questions are racing through your brilliant mind as we're racing through mine on that fateful day. What is this? Why have I been given it? What have I done to deserve this? And which one is the starter? Which one is the dessert? You don't get to a position like yours, Richard, with anything less than a generous sprinkling of observational power. So I know you will have spotted the tomato next to the two yellow shafts of sponge on the left. Yes, it's next to the sponge shaft without the green paste. That's got to be the clue, hasn't it? No sane person would serve a dessert with a tomato, would they? Well, answer me this, Richard. What sort of animal would serve a dessert with peas in? I know it looks like a bargee, but it's in custard, Richard. Custard. It must be the pudding. Well, you'd be fascinated to hear that it wasn't custard. It was a sour gel with oil on top. Its only redeeming feature was that it managed to be so alien to my palate that it took away the taste of the curry emanating from our miscellaneous central cuboid of beige matter. Perhaps the meal on the left might be the dessert after all. Anyway, this is all irrelevant at the moment. I was raised strictly by my parents, and if they knew I had started dessert before the main course, a sponge shaft would be the least of my worries. So, let's peel back the tinfoil on the main dish and see what's on offer. Here we go. I'll try and explain how this felt. Imagine being a 12-year-old boy, Richard. Now, imagine it's Christmas morning and you're sat with your present to open. It's a big one and you know what it is. It's that Goodman stereo you picked out the catalogue and wrote to Santa about. Only you open the presents and it's not in there. It's your hamster, Richard. It's your hamster in the box and it's not breathing. That's how I felt when I peeled back the foil and saw this. That's quite an image, isn't it? 
it really is an image it's, it's not like anything i've ever seen i have to say now i know what you're thinking you're thinking it's more of that bargy custard i admit i thought the same too but no it's mustard richard mustard <laughs> more mustard than any man could consume in a month it's a huge amount of mustard. <laughs> on the left, we have a piece of broccoli and some peppers in a brown glue-like oil. And on the right, the chef has prepared some mashed potato. The, mash, the potato masher had obviously broken, and so it was decided the next best thing would be to pass the potatoes through the digestive tracts of a bird. Nice. Once it was regurgitated, it was clearly then blended and mixed with a bit of mustard. Everybody likes a bit of mustard, Richard. And he did a sugar hit. Luckily, there was a small cookie provided. It had caught my eye earlier due to its baffling presentation. It's in a sort of sealed plastic bag. It's unbelievable. It looks the size of a two-pence piece. And it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like it's... in an evidence bag. <laughs> so, so. Yeah. It appears to be in an evidence bag <laughs> from the scene of a crime. A crime against bloody cooking. Either that or some sort of backstreet underground cookie purchased off a gun-toting maniac high on his own supply of yeast. Certainly wouldn't want to be caught carrying one of these through customs. Imagine biting into a piece of brass, Richard. That would be softer on the teeth than the specimen above. I was exhausted. All I wanted to do was relax, but obviously I had to sit with that mess in front of me for half an hour. I swear the sponge shafts moved at one point. <laughs> Once cleared, I decided to relax with a bit of your world-famous onboard entertainment. I switched it on. Well, I apologise for the quality of the photo. It's just it was incredibly hard to capture Boris Johnson's face through the flickering white lines running up and down the screen. Perhaps it would be better on another channel. Is that really Otter? question I found myself asking over and over again throughout the gruelling half hour I attempted to watch the film like this. After that I switched it off. I'd had enough. I was the hungriest I'd been in my adult life and I had a splitting headache from squinting at a crackling screen. My only option was to simply stare at the seat in front and wait for either food or sleep. Neither came for an incredibly long time. But when it did, it surpassed my wildest expectations. Yes! It's another crime scene cookie, only this time you dunk it in the white stuff. <laughs> Richard, what is that white stuff? It looked like it was going to be yogurt. It finally dawned on me what it was after staring at it. It was a mixture between the bargy custard and the mustard sauce. It reminded me of my first week at university. I had overheard that you could make a drink by mixing vodka and refreshes. I lied to my new friends and told them I'd done it loads of times. And when I attempted to make the drink in a big bowl, it formed a cheese, Richard, a cheese. And that cheese looked a lot like your bargy mustard. If you could see the picture of this, it looks like it looks like loads of people have sneezed into a bowl. Yes, it is a little bit. It's a bit snotty or a bit pussy, I thought. A little bit like, like puss. Puss yeah. and snot. I mean, yeah, all, all of the yeah, just to make it mix. It's, it's not. It's not looking good. And I can eat pretty much everything. So that was that, Richard. I didn't eat a bloody thing. I can only imagine that dinner around your house is like something out of a nature documentary. As I said at the start, I love your brand. I really do. It's just a shame such a simple thing could bring it crashing to its knees and begging for sustenance. Yours sincerely, Oliver Beale. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Julie. For that's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. I would have given him a job too. I'll tell you what. What I love about doing researching 
bad reviews is uh, my favorite ones are the ones where people didn't necessarily have a good experience but they're able to be creative and have a bit of fun with, with it you know it's not so um there's not a heaviness yeah. to it there's like almost like a joy in in yes in how they report Absolutely. their experience yeah so you really brought that to life so thank you julie i appreciate thank it you so much um, it's great <laughs> now people a universal love story that celebrates the human race in all its glorious messiness confusion and joy now to me that sounds like what we need right now the greatest play in the history of the world featuring our Julie Hez is coming back on tour. Is it next month? It is. Yep. Starts in May. As soon as the theatres are allowed to open, actually. Yeah. We, the first live performance we do is in Scarborough at the Stephen Joseph Theatre, where I've never been before, actually. Oh, it's beautiful. And then we do a little tour that go, that takes in York, um, Oldham. Yay. That's just been confirmed. Um, Liverpool, Nottingham. Um, and the Story House Hull. in Chester. Story House right. in Chester and Hull, who were actually co-producing it. So we're doing right. a live stream from Hull as well, just in case everything shuts down and we, we have something to, to give to people. But yeah, but I'm really excited because it is a universal love story. And it's also about, it's very simple, but very complex story. And it's all about love and loss and actually about isolation. And it feels like the perfect mm. story to be telling as we emerge from this weird time. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Serendipitous as well. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I buy my ticket this afternoon. I would probably, I'd love to come to see, come and see it at the story house. I love that place. Have you been to the story oh, house? Oh yeah. I love, it. Yeah. I love it. The last thing I saw before lockdown was a story. house. actually, it was, it was Bex's play. Yeah. Uh, the suicide. It was amazing. It was just, I, I love it there. Um, so make sure you go and get your tickets before, before it sells out and um, you can enjoy Julie in, in a one, it's a one woman show, isn't it? Yeah, the one more show, but with lots of slippers to help me out. Yeah, accompanied by <laughs> accompanied by a plethora of slippers, um, will, will be the brilliant Julie Hasmond-Holsh, and of course, written by her her brilliant husband. So, yeah, don't miss it because um, it's going to be glorious. And Julie, I just want to say a massive thank you for taking the time to come and have a chat and uh, read that that funny review on my silly little podcast. I really appreciate oh. it absolute pleasure Matt anytime and good luck with everything lots of love thank you and uh, yeah we'll catch up soon massive thank you to Julie Hesmond Halsh what a legend uh, she's just got a habit of making you feel better about everything uh, and I had such a top catch up with her I hope you enjoyed listening to it I've had a blast recording this episode that's pretty much all I've got time for this week I want to say thank you to everyone who's listened subscribed liked rated reviewed shared it uh, I found out today from Apple Podcasts that I'm number 24 in the chart of improv podcasts so that's good isn't it um all that's left to say is i am going to end this podcast in a different way each time but i did quite enjoy playing my guitar last week so i'm going to leave you with a song thank you for listening to episode six big thanks to julie too Gonna get outside, enjoy the sunshine That's what I intend to do One last parting gift One thing that I wish to make linger If you see Joel Glazer out in the streets Please give him the finger Cheers!
best of the bad reviews. Best of the